Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Berto Lizzo, host. Thank you, Sakanli, for being part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today, as usual. We are going to have a great show for you today, as usual. How are my peeps doing? I know my peeps are doing just fine because they're in the house. They're in the house, both on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, everywhere else. Great to see everybody. Folks, come on in. Come on in. Come on in. You guys are going to love it today. As you know, every so often, we feature one of our own. We always feature one of our own because, you know, all of you have great stories to tell. And because we're all part of this big, big posse, all of you have a voice. And this is, as, as we all know, your show. But anyhow, let me go ahead and greet all my peeps before we get started. Welcome aboard. Lee Grant is in the house. Welcome aboard, Bridge MCP. Welcome aboard, Tom C. Welcome aboard, Melanie Keelan from Barcelona, Spain. Welcome aboard, Lee Grant again. Welcome aboard, Norman Reynolds, Katy, Texas. Welcome aboard, Parvera Yvette Avery Herod, Atlanta, Georgia. El Senor Michael Rudman, AVQ in, up in Brooklyn, New York. Great to see you here as more people come on in. Anyway, I am still in distress. Uh, I'm still going through my, what I like to call pseudo, uh, pseudo P, uh, what do you call it again? PSD, PD, PTDS, PSDT, P, you know what I'm talking about. Because of what's going on in Gaza, I can't see. Then I hear an interview today on where they, the, one of the people on the military commission with uh, Israel, PTSD, saying, Oh, my God, we will never, uh, in effect, what he said, Palestinians, you are not going to get a two-state solution out of this crap. They are saying before we can even talk about the two-state solution, you guys have to be re-educated. You guys have to be re-educated that says all the bad things that have ever happened to you, forget about it and just live on with it, and we'll all live in peace. And after you have proven that you have not only forgotten about it, but that you can actually submit yourself, then it's going to be okay. It's the only, it's the only agreement that I can see a state demand of another state that the only way you can come into existence is if we re-educate you. That is what a guy said today on MSNBC, a, a, an Israeli representative. We must first re-educate you before we even think about a two-state solution, as opposed to having mutual respect that says you are entitled to your state, whether you, you don't have to like your borders, you don't have to like the people in the other country, you don't even have to like your mother, your father, your brother, or anybody else, you don't. But the requirement that this guy is putting onto Palestine right now for the for the exist to create to allow the existence of Palestine is that you have to be re-educated and you have to like us. You have to like us. Madre mia, I I I, I didn't have enough time to start to record that. It's uh it's a, it played at two o'clock central. I want to try to get it. It's a long interview, and I need to get the segments of it that makes sense so that I can bring it to all of you, my peeps. And I'm going to do that, I hope, for tomorrow. Anyhow, 
Let's see who we have. Daniel Ledo, welcome aboard. Michael Cisak, welcome aboard. Eric Hayes, welcome aboard. Seems like we have the balance of right wing and left wing in the in the in the um in the in the in the uh, in our fold right now. Great to see everybody, all of you. Jacqueline Marie Demi Mayo. I don't think I've seen your name in here before, but yes, you're right. It has to effing stop already. You're absolutely right. It is time for it to stop. The murder must stop. The murder must stop. Melissa Boo is also in the house, uh, so it has to stop. Anyhow, let me do this. Before we might, uh, we're going to play Brother Thomas Zornick after we play two of the uh, two of the, the issues. I want you guys to see, first of all, there is a today in an interview, there is the ambassador to the UN from uh, the ambassador to the UN says there is no crisis. There's no humanitarian crisis in Gaza. That's what he says. No humanitarian crisis in Gaza. So there are two videos I want to show you. The first one is I want to show you where he's talking about no humanitarian crisis in Gaza. And the second video I want to show you is what Gaza looked like before after and how it more closely relates to what it looked like in Mosul, Iraq, that is. But here's what's the kicker. Because we sit down and wonder, America gives Israel three point something billion dollars every year. And Israel is saying to America, shut up. You can't tell us what to do if we want to murder Palestinians for having sent for, for, for uh, Hamas having killed our people, we will do so. You can't tell us to stop. We give you $3.5 billion. Now they're asking, we're, we're, we're preparing another $14 billion, of which some of it is coming out of. It's coming out of. They want out of our, our, our revenue system here in the United States. And again, Netanyahu is saying, you can't. Tell us what to do. Netanyahu is the same guy who several years ago said that he can tell America what to do. They are a pushover. Look it up. in the. Uh, and I tell you, Rudnan, I, I have a task for you, brother Rudnan. Look up where Netanyahu pretty much said we were a bunch of you know what. America could be pushed around. Uh, I saw it on a TikTok yesterday and I was going to do some research, but I didn't get the chance to do it. But it, it was she showed the article from. I think it was a Houston, I mean, a, a, the Washington Post. So, Rudnan, if you can find that article about, uh, about Netanyahu saying that we are pushovers, let me see it and we'll do the link. But anyhow, let's first go with that video that shows the, uh, that goes ahead and shows Dana Bass talking to the, uh, the ambassador from Israel. Check it out and then we will take it on the other side. Go. Israeli ambassador to the United Nations. Gilad Erdan, I tell you something. If you want to understand why it is that so many people right now, in as much as it was a horrendous act by Hamas, but what the IDF is doing in Gaza right now, for any, anybody with empathy, anybody that has any degree of humanity, would see the massacring, murderous effect of that 
bombing. So we have Dana Bash. She's no kind of a, uh, no kind of a reporter or journalist that is trying to be left wing or is trying to be appeasing or anything like that. Even when she, when she stops the ambassador and says, are you blind? I mean, paraphrasing, of course, are you blind? How can you not see what you guys are doing in Gaza? How can you not see it? Want you to listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side. We don't see the need for humanitarian pauses right now because it will only enable Hamas to rearm and regroup and prevent us from achieving our goal to destroy Hamas's terrorist capabilities. You've said this before, that there is no humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Uh, That's kind of an amazing statement because there were humanitarian problems there before the war. And now, obviously, it has gotten bad. Take take their numbers aside. It has gotten to the crisis point. I'm 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 not no I'm I'm not saying that the life in Gaza is great and obviously Hamas is the only one that should be held accountable for any situation in Gaza but there's a standard due to uh international humanitarian law what does it mean a humanitarian crisis and I'm saying again there is no humanitarian crisis based on the international humanitarian law right now in Gaza I guess My question is, if Israel wants to maintain and the government wants to maintain credibility, is denying that there is a humanitarian crisis inside Gaza the way to do it? I'm not denying that uh, the situation in uh, the humanitarian situation in Gaza is very bad. And it's very sad that for 16 years, Hamas exploited uh, all the money that was uh, transferred to Gaza. Instead of investing it to build hospitals or uh, desalination, water desalination power plants, uh, only to turn Gaza into a war machine. It's very sad, but Israel shouldn't be held accountable for this situation. Let's be clear here. What's occurring? I mean, uh, right now there is there are groups in, in, in the United States and elsewhere that are trying like hell to really demonize, to tag as anti-Semitic, anybody who calls out what's occurring in Gaza right now, uh, whenever they tell the truth about what's going on in, in Gaza, that the place is carpet bombed, decimated, made to be inhabitable. It's a form of genocide. Whenever they say that, they try to make it seem like one is anti-Semitic. Do not fall for it. There are a lot of human beings, so far over 10,000 human beings that are dying, that are dead. Yes, it was horrendous, the 1,400 Israelis that were killed by Hamas. But these people that are being killed did nothing to nobody. And they are getting killed, slaughtered by a power no one seemed able to control. And that the United States, one who funds with over $3.5 billion yearly to Israel, one who is about to give $14 billion more, And we must stay quiet as the slaughter of a people continue. Do you know what goodwill that does to to the average American traveling citizen, to the average American citizen, period? 
Let me tell you something, folks. If, if people don't activate themselves and ensure that Israel, uh, the IDF, stops the slaughter that's occurring in Gaza right now, the blowback on the average American citizen is going to be unbearable. And again, we're going to ask that question. Why do they hate us? It's not that they hate us. It's that as they see it from their point of view, they see our bombs. They see our monies investing in getting many of their people slaughtered like dogs slaughtered. That is what they see. And you know what? Is that not justified when you see these blind bombs falling and killing the innocent? Forget about somebody saying, oh, we told them to leave while you're bombing all the areas where they're attempting to leave. While, while we have a, 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 a Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, who once says, who once said, we can tell, the United States is easy, we can tell them what to do and they have to follow. I'm paraphrasing, but I'll play that video for you sometimes or look up the New York Post article, New York, New York, uh, the, the Washington Post article about it. Let's be clear here. Let's be clear here. It is time for a change. We've spent a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those. It is actually time for a change. Absolutely. So sorry, I'll I'll find the article, Michael. I'll get it for everybody to see it. I'll try to get it for the program tomorrow if I can remember. Jot a note down to remind remind me about it. But before I get to the other video. I want to read some of uh, what you guys are saying here before I get started. Lee Grant, the war in the Middle East, but there are battles here in the U.S. too. UPenn notified the FBI about threatening anti-Semitic emails sent to university staff as wealthy donors threatened to pull funding. Amazing. And let's not also forget that a, 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 a an Arab kid was killed by a tenant who said, oh, I was scared that they were going to hurt me. Right. So, I mean, it's it, it's not just anti-Semitism that is occurring, but it is Islamophobia as well that's occurring. We need to stop it. We need to stop it. And we stop it by being honest. That is what we do. We stop it by being honest, being honest about Israel, being honest about Palestine, being honest about settlements, being honest about terrorism. That's what we need to do. Uh, Jacqueline Marie Demi Maswar says, this is genocide. 70% of the population has been displaced. It has no, it has, it has to FN stop already, right? Uh, Tom C., who we're going to be featuring a little bit later, says, hope I didn't put my foot in the mouth. It was a wonderful interview, Tom. Let's, you know, like I told you after we were done with it. Uh, let's see what else we got here. What else we got here? Uh, David Pay says, ambassador to UN from where? From Israel. Uh, Michael Rowan says, Justin Trudeau talking about Israel-Palestine said, cease and then pause. He was so close to saying ceasefire, live mint, back, back, Israel-Hamas war. Justin Trudeau almost says ceasefire, but backtrack. It's amazing the fear that these people have for, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what the reason is. I don't know if it's a military-industrial complex or what. Melissa replied to Eric. Eric, more than half of the population don't have homes to, to, to go back to, homes to collect that tax credit. Uh, uh, we'll, very good point. Very good point. We'll talk about that when we're talking about economics. Uh, let's see. How does this help the majority of citizens? 
I didn't see what Eric said, so I, I'm kind of flying blinder, but I'll move on. Uh, para ver, para ver, para ver. Bridge MCP says Israelis have taken more land in Gaza, more and more, literally threw people out. And that's what they're doing right now. They are carpet bombing Gaza. Notice how they, they cleanly, they cleanly split it. Because look out, nobody is coming back to build all that decimation that you see there. And talking about decimation, let's look at what decimation looks like right now. This is what the Israeli ambassador is saying. There's no humanitarian crisis. Everything that we're doing is up and up. Check this out. The Israeli government continues to claim that what they're doing is trying to root out Hamas. So uh, the, the 10,000 civilians that are current, currently up to more than 10,000 civilians that have been killed, that have been murdered, that somehow that was a requirement uh, to knock out the, the Hamas and knock out the these evil terrorists who killed many uh, Iris, Is, Israeli citizens. And in the process, of course, now we're getting over 10,000 Palestinians dead. And they, they said there's no humanitarian crisis in Gaza. So claimed the, the, the ambassador uh, from Israel to the UN. There is not a problem. In fact, they're watching TVs. They're doing the things that they want. The evidence from the satellites tell a different story. And when compared to places like Mosul in Iraq, it's, it's definitely that by the time this is all over, there will be tens of thousands of dead Palestinians. Take a listen to this, and then we'll take it on the other side. As some dual nationals, foreign nationals, and folks who are critically ill begin to get out of Gaza for the first time since the blockade and bombardment started, we're getting a look at the scope of the destruction there. This is a satellite picture showing part of the Jabila refugee camp just north of Gaza City on Tuesday. It's a, it's a neighborhood. It's structures. It's one of the most densely populated places on earth. This picture was taken on October 31st. This is what that same neighborhood looked on like on November 1st. That's one day later. That's after an Israeli airstrike. The Israeli military confirms a strike, says it was targeting a Hamas militant. The local hospital says dozens of people were killed. Over 100,000 Palestinians live in Jabilia. This is what it looked like last year as people got ready to celebrate the holiday of Id, shopping for food, treats, and other goods while children played in the marketplace. These are the pictures on the ground after the airstrike on Tuesday. Apartment buildings leveled, hundreds of people reportedly injured, and a massive crater left behind where the bombs hit. Now, it, it's hard to find a, a, a proper precedent or analog for, for, for what we're seeing in Gaza, this kind of destruction of a military campaign in such a dense urban area where people cannot flee. The closest there is may be the battle for Mosul, Iraq, after it was taken over by ISIS. So here's a satellite image from Mosul. It's Iraq's second biggest city. This is in 2015. And this is that exact same location two years later. Look at that. After ISIS had been routed. Before ISIS, Mosul was a city of well over a million people. They had homes, and they worked, and they ran errands, and they shopped, and they raised children like you or I. After the ISIS takeover, Iraqi and coalition forces launched a nine-month military campaign to take back the city, and ISIS really wouldn't let people leave. And so they were sort of trapped there, and much of Mosul, as you can see, was largely reduced to rubble. The Associated Press says close to 10,000 civilians were killed during that military campaign. Right now, Israel's military campaign in Gaza appears to be on pace to far exceed that. The Gaza Health Ministry says 9,000 people have been killed in just over three weeks. 
we cannot independently verify that number. But those those satellite images paint a picture of enormous devastation. If you are not sick, if it doesn't bring tears to your eyes, if it doesn't bring you disgust for Netanyahu and his clan, that the revenge that they're doing is being taken out on mostly the innocent, then where's the heart? Is there any wonder why so many people around the world are not only disgusted, they're ready to go ahead and say, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. You can't have innocent people at the mercy of blind bombs just being murdered as they are currently in uh, Gaza. This has got to stop. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into. You know, uh, 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 Bruce Pollard, you're absolutely right. He says using 2000 bombs, 2000 pound JDAMs in residential areas, areas was a war crime. Only the U.S. was guilty of. Now Israel has joined the club. Horrific. Russia has done the same, but not with JDAMs, with other types of weapons. And, you know, to some extent, that is why America has to be quiet when uh, Israel affects its, its murderous regime on places like Gaza, where they just carpet bomb and kill indiscriminately. Because after all, Don, bro, Brother Bush, the Bush, the President Bush came into Panama and to get the, Manuel Antonio Noriega, one person, uh, oh, Thousands of Panamanians had to be carpet bombed as well. So this is modus operandi. We talk about humanity. We talk about humaneness. People, you know, we lead by example. And you know what? Israel is doing a good job of following the example. Mosul, they're doing a good job of following the example. Panama, they're doing a good job of following the example. Granada, they're doing a good job of following these examples. Now we should be atoning so that we can point out to these guys what you're doing is simply wrong. It's evil. Brother, brother Tim Danahy has a good point. Israel should create safe zones behind the lines of peaceful Palestinians and U.S. aid should be used for food, water, shelter, schools and opportunity. I agree 100% with that. But here is a part that I have a problem with. Why do we give Israel a pass for killing thousands of people as we as we talk about how evil it is for Hamas to have killed? And it is evil to have killed 1400 people. It is just it is just as evil to kill 1400 Palestinians as it is to kill 1400 Israelis. Punto y final. Until we start looking at humanity equitably, equally. All humans are valuable. All humans are valuable. I mean, we have to be. We have to be honest about this. Anyway, it is time for us to... uh, I had to get until Israel and stops bombing Palestine. One of my jobs, I can't do it at KPFT because I don't want to have to fight yet another battle. But I'll do it here. Until Israel leaves, leaves or stops bombing uh, Gaza, every day we have to say something to keep it into the forefront. We can't let Americans forget 
that your money is being used to murder people. We can't. We can't. Every day we have to have a segment on that. But for right now, I want to change the tone. I want to cool myself down. I want to take a breath, reduce our blood pressure, our collective blood pressures, and listen to somebody who is a very good human being, a writer, a, a, a humanitarian, somebody who just does right by people, and he's one of us. He's part of our PDR Posse, and as you know, we try to feature uh, some of us, whoever has something to say every so often because this is your program. So without further ado, I want to bring you to our brother, our brother, our brother, El Señor Thomas Sarnik. We call him here, Brother Tom C. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host as usual. This is our series where we get uh, people who mean quite a bit to society with the works that they do. And today we're honored to have one of the PDR Posse <laughs> members, Tom Sarnik. Did I say your name right, Tom? Always right, Zarnik. Yeah, some, some people Tom? say Charnik, but Zarnik is the way I use it, right? All right, well, well, welcome as usual to Politics and Right, Tom. Um, how are you doing today, first of all? Okay, just fine. I enjoyed your show, and uh, you covered a lot of territory, and that was interesting with uh, going from uh, domestic politics to international politics all, uh, all, all the way around the world. In all one, in one, one sweep. Hour. But yep. today, we're not even going to take domestic or, or whatever. We're going to be talking yeah. about uh, you releasing another book. I mean, <laughs> first of all, how many books have you written? Well, I, I've got five published, and, but I have at least five more that I want to get out there. I've been writing my whole life, uh, and especially the last 50 years, probably. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, I like writing every day. I write about politics, but I write also stories and plays and poems. And so I have a lot of fun with that. And then just within the last uh, eight months or so, my brother encouraged me to start publishing. He, he told me about uh, the Amazon uh, Kindle KDP. Yeah. KDP and also Kindle Create, which is the mm -hmm. app. And I learned how to do that because I, I, I have a little bit of computer background. I worked in data base uh, development in accounting and I so I figured it out, and uh, and it was a lot of fun, uh, especially have fun doing the covers, but but uh, also putting pictures within the the text, and it's been it's just been kind of an adventure. I, I really not looking to uh, you know make a killing on it or uh, for fame and fortune. I, I just want to get it out there. But it, it's uh, you know you get older and you start thinking, you know, what am I leaving behind? <laughs> and, right. Uh, and I liked and I like the idea of making a difference in the world and. I'm not sure this does, but some some people like it. Some people have bought it. Some some have uh, I've given a, a lot of books away, uh, and so it's it's kind of a break even process. Well, it, it's interesting because um, you've been a, a a member of our show for a long time now, the PDR Posse, and yeah, you know years. I just came about learning about your writing after you you would you would all put limericks in our feed all of the times and. I always get a kick out of reading them with some sort of an emotion. Yeah, or, I enjoy, I enjoy you, that. Yeah, <laughs> I like to read your limericks because they're, they're always prescient and make sense with whatever politics we're talking about or whatever subject we're talking about. 
Why don't you, yeah. I don't, I, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Why don't you uh, give me the limerick that you did today? If, if you don't have it, I, I can read it. Well, there's one, I don't know if you read it or not. Um, uh, there's, I gave the one about Trump and being in court. You read that one. But this, the second one, I, and it's funny, I wrote this yesterday on a bike ride. I was riding a bike in the neighborhood and I was thinking about the war uh, in uh, Israel and uh, between uh, Netanyahu and Hamas and all that. And so I wrote this poem in my head and I kind of fine tune it when I got home. So it's called, it's, it's, it's not really a, a traditional limerick. It kind of has some internal rhyme. It says, Netanyahu, look above you. Do you see the rocket's red glare? Hear explosions, raw emotions, bombs bursting everywhere. Gaza's son, Gaza daughter, like Israeli children led to slaughter. Netanyahu, look around you, feel their pain, show you care. Uh, that's what I'm talking about, folks. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, that says everything. He uses the Star Spangled Banner, right? Our our anthem, <laughs> and then he places it onto sort of a an injustice that is occurring, yeah. Based on another injustice that have occurred. I mean, I, and that's why I like your limericks because it they are generally profound. In other words, it's not <laughs> just words for the sake of words, but they all have a meaning and and. Lucky for me, generally, when you put your limericks out there, I pick it up right away. And I'm pretty sure yeah, a lot like of people like pick it up right away. So, yeah, and they're, they're all, not always great. Sometimes they're better. Some are better. I thought this one's a little better because it had a little more depth to it. But I just enjoy writing. And, and sometimes poetry comes out, sometimes prose. Sometimes it comes out in a story or a play or something. And I, I we talked about this at, at, at Ask Aberto. Uh, on Saturday, and I, I tried to stress that when we talked about addiction and how in our country we've got problems with people taking drugs and you know alcohol and just uh, not not participating much in life, being depressed, um, you know. And I just think, wow, you know, maybe we all need to be addicted to something, but it should be something good. And I and I have found that by writing and creating art, that uh, that's kind of my thing. It's kind of my addiction. It gets me away from the TV set. It gets me away to you know thinking blue thoughts. It's it's every day can be a, a wonderful day if you can get up and create something. So I, that's what I would encourage people to do is you know find your passion and and do that. Even if you're working a job you don't like, you know that's you have to do that sometimes for a living and. Some people think, well, I have if I'm going to be a poet or a, a writer, I have to make a living at it. You don't have to do that. You can draw, you can write, you can do anything creative. Even in science, there's a lot of creativity. And and do that as a hobby. Do that as something that gets you up in the morning. And then you go to work and you can think about it even at work, in between things. I did a lot. I snuck in a lot of writing while I was working uh, in between, took a break, and I'd jot down a few notes or something, and that would keep me going. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself, first of all, because um, uh, you came to our program, uh, Politics Done Right. You know, you kind of just showed up at the program and you became one of our most active um, participants that always had something to move the discussion forward. What's your background? Well, I, I actually, it's kind of strange because I was studied to be a priest um, <laughs> way back you know, 50 some years ago, and I dropped out of the seminary, but uh, really got me into writing and thinking about things deeply. I took philosophy and English in college. Uh, as part, that was a part of our program. 
to for to in the seminary and then I went one year beyond the theology and I said that's it I'm not going to do this because it just got boring and and it was all the things about celibacy and there was all this issues about the church was you know, demanding so much it was becoming more conservative even at that time and I thought well I'll see what life has I got drafted uh, right out of that and I went uh, two years in the army uh, but I was a conscientious objector so even then. I, I got. I, I decided I was not going to carry a gun or, or, you know, kill anybody in, in Vietnam. And I got. I, so I went into the medical corps. I, I was in the X-ray and got out of that uh, uh, with an honorable discharge. And fortunately, then I was hired by the Veterans Administration, but not in the medical corps. I was. I was just a, a benefits counselor and ended up eventually in a, in accounting. Um, so uh, that kind of got me. When I retired, I, I got into uh, working for a, a private company as a their accountant, and I and on my own I learned uh, uh, database development, and uh, so I and I was always a student, even in when I was working for the VA, I was always trying to learn something new. So I was trying to learn, uh, you know, coding and everything else, and I and I got it. So that became a second career for me, and then I just within the last ten years retired from that. So I started picking up my writing again, but even between all that, I was writing all the time. But within the last five years or so, I really kind of got more into it. And when COVID hit, uh, we were so isolated. I, I actually wrote uh, two plays uh, in the last couple of years, uh, this Castle of Cards and uh, the, uh, the Marx Brothers one I wrote, and then another one, which I haven't published yet. Um, which is, I think, one of the best ones. It's 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 called Hans Holbein and the Dance of Death, and I'm really looking forward to publishing that one because that that has a lot of pictures and art, and it's it's kind of an art education play, but it's also a play about uh, the life of Hans Holbein, who's a very interesting artist from the uh, 1500s, and uh, that was uh, a lot of fun. So that that's kind of a, I've had kind of a weird background when it comes to. Um, you know, getting into this, but politics has always been in kind of the back of my mind. And when I ran across your program, and I can't remember exactly how that happened, I think I was going on YouTube looking for something, and I and I saw wow, what this looks interesting. So I I started participating in it, and really liked about the, the the interaction part of it, the fact that you know you're not just throwing a comment out there, but you're you're actually reading them and you're and you're interacting with them. And then the ask Alberto was really great because. To talk to you directly. So, you know, politics has always been kind of in the back of my mind. And even in a lot of my writings, like this one, The Castle of Cards, which is the latest, I, I added a, a scene and I'm working on another one for another edition of it, but uh, where uh, an archbishop and a, and a governor are, are discussing uh, the current events that are going on about abortion and, and uh, different uh, moral choices that you have. And it it just kind of flows from in between things. So it, there's there's a lot of poetry. There's a lot of uh, philosophy, which is my background. And, and I'm also thinking of literature. I like the plays. We go to plays, and that's another thing. I think I like writing plays the best because it's it do, it doesn't require a lot of description and a, a lot of internal monologue. You can just show what you're watching right and i like, love that the best because it's what's going to be acted out on tv or what's going to be acted out yeah, on stage yeah, or, yeah, or, or yeah. where it's that yeah, you don't have I'm, to create the background right and i'm always thinking that i think i'm very visual that way and and 
So I'm trying to uh, picture when I'm writing, I'm trying to figure out how would, how would this look on stage and how are the characters act and what are they dressed like? And, you know, what is the interaction and where's the plot going and how does it end? And it's, it, it's all, it's just, and I, that's one thing I, I would encourage anybody to do. If you just do it, you know, just, if you have an idea for writing or creating a painting or something, just play around with it and do it, stick with it. And you'll, you'll be surprised what you come up with. And, even if it's not great, the process is what's wonderful. It's, it makes you feel alive. You know, yesterday uh, when we had or, or Saturday when we had or asking Berto anything, what I one of the reasons that I, I you know I think I told you, man, we need to get 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 people to hear some of what you had to say. And, and this is what I'm talking about. First of all, uh, addiction. If we could right. start a migrate or addiction to something that is positive, you've done that with your writing. Uh, also the, the idea of whatever it is that you do tied into what's occurring today, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like, like you've just mentioned these, these plays that you write, you've found, you've, you've always found a way to re weave in today's reality within your play that just somehow seems to give it context. The limerick that you just read, uh, you know, where, where you took, uh, you know, a star spangled banner and you right. tied it into the, what's, I mean, those, those are great machinations that others can kind of learn from and and start to see that these kinds of things makes a make, make a difference and uh when you urge people on to say look you don't have to be perfect you don't have to leave your job to start your passion uh, right. you don't have you know you can actually start your passion even while working which right. i think it's an important thing and it, it, it makes your life mean and you you hit a good point the, the make a difference thing because i always think of mad you know, make a difference. Mm -hmm. But if you don't make a difference, you can go MAD. You can go mad. Exactly. Life will just drive you crazy because you'll think, oh, what, what am I doing? Just every day getting up, going to work, coming home, watching TV or whatever. And it just becomes boring. And I, I, I just couldn't stand that. And I just, that's one way I found to make life more meaningful and to try to make a difference. So uh, people have different ways of doing it. I mean, I, I can understand somebody saying, well, I don't have any talent. Well, everybody's got some talent and even may your, may your talent may be in helping people directly, you know, maybe, you know, just going to a nursing home or, you know, or going and being involved in, in a political campaign or something. You, you can always do something beyond your job and get, you know, have your passion in that. So I just hope people, you know, more and more people do that. And they don't feel discouraged by what's going on in the world. Well, you know, um, with people like you around and, you know, having you uh, always there commenting in our program, having you at the Ask Egberto Anything, being a, 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 an active participant, uh, I think you bring a lot of positive energy to wherever it is that you go. And I think that is really, really important. Uh, you, you know, this it, it is sort of um, uh, contagious. And I think if more of us became more contagious with just the way we are, we don't all have we don't all have to fall for that tale about hating everybody, which is something right. that you bring liking folk just coming out there and trying to find the good in every single person. Something that I've watched you do in every platform that, you know, that we've we've all participated in. So tell us a little bit about uh, before we go here, um, the name of your books and how can folks get to your book. And of course, I'm going to have the links to your books in the, in the blog for this post as well. Yes. Well, I've got, like I said, the five of them out there right now. The latest one is called Castle of Cards. And then I've got uh, four others. 
See if I can get them all up here on the oh, screen. I, so I, I have can... them up so I can I can call them out. Yeah, There's Castle the... of Cards, yeah, The Secret this... Life of Paladin. Now that's a, uh, I I had probably the hardest book to write, but it was the most <laughs> fun. I, I don't know if people are familiar with uh, Paladin from the uh, old TV series Have Gun Will Travel. See, I I grew up in the fifties and sixties, and uh, that was one of the things that I liked because Paladin was a cowboy, uh-huh. uh, Richard Boone, who was a philosopher. And he was a literary, he read literature, but he was also a gun gunslinger. So I wrote this story about him, but it's kind of a, a weird story because it, it, it talks about both Richard Boone and Paladin. So that the character, there's two two elements going on here. The the character of Richard Boone, the actual actor, is is thinking about the, his character, and he's writing a story called The Secret Life of Paladin, which this book is about. And so the characters are combined and they go back and forth and they communicate with each other. But it's also about nonviolence and, you know, and it's about guns. It's a lot about guns. And and, and I don't want to spoil the ending, but there's a resolution about what the gun is. And it becomes something more than what people think it is. And there's a big discussion about, you know, what what we do about all this violence. And this is in the context of the story that. That goes it goes back in the sixties, but it even goes back in the eighteen hundreds when the cowboys were around. So that's why I had fun with it. There was a, there's a lot of references to philosophy and religion in it, and some people might find it too deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's one of the things that I, I have to uh, be concerned about. I, I don't I don't write for you know the regular person. It's not like a western, like a Zane Gray right. story. It's, it's 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 there's a lot of philosophy, and so. It may not every, be everybody's cup of tea, but again, something I really wanted to do and enjoyed. It's got a lot of pictures in it, too. It's a semi-graphic novel. And then the Shirley U. Joust, that was one I, I came up with not too long ago. That's that's a completely different type of thing. It's it's all Marx Brothers. Um, I, I I was studying, uh, as I, I joke about, I said, I, that was my summer that I studied Marx. <laughs> it wasn't, but it wasn't Karl Marx. It was the Marx Brothers. The Marx Brothers, and I and I was reading all their scripts and and watching their movies and things. And I came up with this idea. Well, they never had one about uh, knights in the Middle Ages. I thought, well, I'll do one about that. So I just kind of started writing it, and I had a lot of fun with it. And I I don't know if everybody will like it or not, but I I just had a lot of fun with the jokes and things. And it's certainly not something that uh, would be acceptable today for the most part because Groucho Marx was a was a womanizer and a, and he and so was Harpo and they, you know there's a lot of this touching and grabbing and right. uh, you know t- t- double entendres and you know I'm sure that wouldn't be wouldn't go over well but again it's something I just wanted to do and I did it so then Hugh the Manatee that was one of the first ones that I published it's uh it's it's based on the idea that Hugh Manatee it's uh, and I've seen other people try this too so I'm not it's not a completely original idea, but I was surprised to find that other people had published things called humanity because they're playing on words, but it's mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. this animal. Humanity and yeah, humanity. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's a kind of a adult uh, fable. Uh, I guess you could read it to children too, but it's more adult. It's about this humanity. Hugh, the manatee is trying to find himself and trying to figure out how to live. And it's, he goes to all his friends and some of the friends enjoy eating all the time or playing all the time or, you know, fighting all the time. And he, he's trying to find meaning in his life and he ends up going to the, the holy mackerel <laughs> and uh, finding uh, that he needs to go to the nothing atoll to find himself. And uh, so there is, there's a lot of philosophy in it. And, 
you know, there's a lot of uh, word play, play on words, play on words. Right. And I've, I've had some good uh, comments on it. Some people have really liked it as a kind of a way of thinking about life. So it's, it's another meditation. There's a lot, it's kind of written in a poem form. It's a, so it's not, uh, it's easy, fairly easy and fairly short. So it's something, you know, you might want to look at if you're interested in kind of philosophy. Then the patient sailor, and this is the, this one I took a long time to write it. it, it well, it, it's several years. And um, it's really kind of a fantasy about a, a, a captain on a sailboat who is a philosopher. And uh, I'm, as an author, am listening to this person talk about all their adventures, and I'm retelling stories that I've heard from the patient sailor, and then the philosophy of his life based on parts of the sailboat. So the mast is considered a connection to the divine, and the waves are considered, you know, going across the ocean in life, and the winds are emotions, and the sail sails are ways of, of catching creativity. It's 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 you'd have to read it, and, and and it would probably be best if you knew a little something about sailing. But it, I try to break it down. There are pictures in the in the book uh, showing different parts of the sailboat. And, uh, and the stories a lot of times are independent of, of the actual sailing. I mean, they're, they're based on sailing, but there's a lot of fantasy. It's, it's more of a fable type book. And, it, and there's, again, a lot of philosophy. And I'm hoping people enjoy it. But it's a deeper book. It's one that you don't just pick up and read in one sitting. Right. So, so, so those well, are the... Five, yeah. The five books. Well, you know what? Uh, I, I am. First of all, I'm glad that you uh, decided to come on because I really wanted to talk to you not only about the books that you write, but just your, the basic humanity that you display in both our chats and our uh, Ask Egberto programs where we where we talk real issues. You always right. bring that humanity to the issues. So, um, you know what? I always ask at the last uh, uh, at the end of my my interview. So I hope you're prepared. I said, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Yeah, it's hard to, yeah, it's, I, I was anticipating kind of question and, it, and I was writing, actually, I, one of the things I do and, and, and I encourage people to do this, you know, I don't write all the time, but I'm always thinking about writing. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I would encourage people that if, that want to get to start living the creative life that you don't have to create something. It's the process. And even if you're just thinking, if you're thinking about something, you get a thought, write it down. I have, I have a pad of paper next to my bed at, at night a little light, with a little light on it. I wake up at two in the morning and I think, oh, <laughs> I got to write that down. And I, and I, and I sometimes I spend a half an hour writing. Sometimes I spend just a few minutes. And then I wake up in the morning and I look for, I look at that pad and I said, did I write something last night? And I, and I go to my, and I, I certainly did. And there's, and there it is. And I said, I'm glad I wrote that down. Sometimes it's just funny. You know, sometimes it's a joke or something. Sometimes it doesn't mean all that much, but it's fun. I just, I was writing one things I wrote and I'll, I'll read this. Uh, here's, here's what I wrote the other night. I said, we are all on death row awaiting our execution day. The only choice choice we have now is how to use our remaining time. Do we count the hours left, distracting ourselves with amusements, or do we become better persons, helping other humans by relieving their suffering, creating art or inventions that enrich and improve life for our fellow mortals? The main challenge for each of us is to live up to our potential by following your bliss, as Joseph Campbell said, and lose your life to save it, as Jesus said. So this this kind of, again, one of the things I think about a lot is, you know, my life 
as I get older. And, I, you know, we don't we don't know how long we're going to live, but I'm trying to do something that will help somebody or make a difference in somebody's life, either now or later. And that's kind of thing. I, I, in fact, I wrote this death thought down just last night. I said, my books are my tombstone. My writing is my epitaph. So, I mean, you just, this is my way of approaching it. Now, everybody might think, well, that's kind of morbid. But, uh, you know, think about it. Maybe it'll help you. <laughs> Tom Zarnik, I think we end it right there. Thank you so kindly. Thank you, Gilberto. On Politics and Right. Thank you for inviting me. And I look forward to continue communicating and interacting with you in the year, months and years to come. Great. Great job. Thank you. Bye now. I think the sound is back. What happened is after a while, when you don't talk for a while, these mics go into fail, say, or rather energy saving mode. So anyway, 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 a uh, wolf bear seven. I get discouraged, but then I get so terrified by the twisted sociopathic thinking out there that I'm forced to take action to fix things. Think globally, act locally. I love that. And let me just say one thing, brother or brother Wolfbeer Seven or sister Wolfbeer Seven. I don't know your gender, but let me just say this. That's why we're here. Anytime you feel discouraged, you got a posse. You got the PDR posse because we got to keep things going. The expectation of a plutocracy, the expectation of an oligarchy, the expectation is that we are going to get so tired of fighting. We're going to get so tired of doing what we need to do that we're going to throw our hands up in the air and just say, I tell you what, do whatever you will with us. No, 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 no. The fight never ends. You know why? Because they never end fighting. They never end looking out for themselves. So you got to keep it going. And whenever you get discouraged, hey, guys, we are here. Whenever you get discouraged and you need a pep talk, hey, guys, we are here. We never, ever let me listen to this. Listen to this naturalized American from Panama. We never, ever give in. We never, ever give in. All right. We never, ever give in. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, coming down, coming down, coming down, coming down. Great interviews. Lee Grant says. Eric says, get your go get your 100 KKKKKKKKKK. Don't know what that means, but I imagine it means something. Hey, welcome aboard, May Wood. Haven't seen you here in uh, until now. So if I missed you earlier, forgive me. Bridge also loved the interview. Uh, let's see. I'm scrolling up to see what else people are saying here that I may have missed. You know, it's a whole lot of stuff scrolling. So uh, because it's coming in for all, from all the channels, I kind of I put it all here in one. So I miss a whole lot. I miss a whole lot. Carl Cox is in the house. Carl, been seeing you in a while. Says conservatives claim to know about financial literacy, but they do not. Never have, never will. America practices crony capitalism. I mean, we like to say America practice crony capitalism. What I like to say, America practices capitalism. There's nothing crony about it. That is what it is. I think, uh, you know, I'm starting to, I'm starting not to try to qualify and call it crony. Because it ultimately dissolved, it all ultimately devolves into 
a, a what we have become because that's what, what it turns. So Tom C says, thank you, Egberto. Hope everybody got something out of that interview. You too, Daniel. Look, I'm pretty sure that your, your humanity showed. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, parvet, parvet, because I don't have any more videos and we have three minutes to go. So if you want to tell me anything or if you want to give me a call to it, I always forget to say since I'm, I'm at the other on the other show now, but you can give me a call. 281-823-7747, 281-823-7747. If you want to say something real quickly before we end, uh, before we go, though, I'd like to remind everybody that this is a show that is supported by you, owned by you. In fact, as you can, you just saw, we had one of our, an interview with one of our own who had quite a bit to say. Please consider supporting us. And how do you do that? Uh, you can support us by going to politicsunright.com slash support. Politicsandright.com says support is the way you have the many different options in which to support us. You can also contribute by saying, I want to, I want to be, first of all, subscribing to our newsletter is free. Let me just say that subscribing to our newsletter is free. It is up to you. And I ask you as many as you can to do it. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber. Going to politicsandright.com slash newsletter. We send out a newsletter with the KPFT program every morning at 5 a.m. for the 6 a.m. program so that you know what we're going to talk about on the 6 a.m. program. And I also send out, if I have something that I want to say to you, I send out periodically on that newsletter. Likewise, anybody who is a paid subscriber of the Politics and Right newsletter, which is called Egberto on the Run, I mean, rather, Egberto on the record, Egberto off the record. Anybody who subscribed to that newsletter has access online to all of my books, both my current books, my past books, and my future books. So please consider uh, going to politicsandright.com slash newsletter and Subscribe, become a paid subscriber. You immediately get access to all our books. Uh, P says, Egberto uh, in that link I sent you, a leaked document from Israel Intelligence Ministry dated less than one week after October 7th. Hamas attack proposed, proposes a permanent transfer of Gaza's residents to Egypt. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu confirmed the document's authenticity but dismissed the spear concept paper. I saw that. I saw that. Uh, while Egypt and much of the Arab world has publicly opposed the forced displacement of millions of Palestinians. Again, that is the definition of genocide, right? Again, Carl Cox is like, Berto, being busy trying to pass classes this semester. If it works out, I need to pass another upper level class, singular, during the spring 2024 and graduate in 2024. And we are giving you the positive affirmation, Carl Cox, to go do it. So let's not just talk about it, Carl Cox. Do it. Uh, Carl Cox, hey, you know, before I go, let me tell you all the folks that are in the room right now that have been interviewed on Politics Done Right. Carl Cox has been interviewed on Politics Done Right. Bridge MCP has been interviewed on Politics Done Right. Tom C. has been interviewed on Politics Done Right. Paul Fleming has been interviewed on Politics Done Right. Am I missing anybody? Uh, am I missing every, any, if I miss, uh, uh, Norman Reynolds have been interviewed on politics and right. 
And if you if you have something that you want to come out and say that our audience, our pilot, our PDR posse, and the rest of the world wants to hear or needs to hear, drop me a line and say, Berto, I'm ready for a 15 to 20 minute interview. And we'll we'll get it done. Because again, I am the guy who believes in the people. The people. We are the ones who get things done. We're the ones who make things happen. So once again, folks, please subscribe to our newsletter or provide some other support, politicsandright.com slash newsletter, politicsandright.com slash support. Anyway, my name is Egberto Willis. I got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right. And you know how I end this, baby. How do I end it again? I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.